Encourage one another day-to-day encouragement. Day-to-day, every day, all week. Not every day is happy, and as Jennifer mentioned in her short thing, you can have a great couple days, and then boom, you get a really bad one, and when you get a bad morning, by a couple hours later, you're fine after your coffee, whatever it takes. But it's not all the same, and our circumstances can blindside us. A phone call can come and and totally disrupt our attitude for the day. It's been kind of neat at home. Um, My wife said June is the best month of the year, the best weather, everything's great. So every day, take in the day. However she said it, I thought that was cool. And that's like choosing your attitude ahead of time. Very interesting. Right, Teresa? Doing dishes, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, mowing the lawn, pulling weeds, all that stuff. It's about where our mind is at. And that's why we need to keep getting together. Whether it's for coffee with one another, whether it's in a large group, because this has a benefit too. But we do need to get together and grow and encourage one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote It is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. It is by grace you have the opportunity to know other fellow believers. Don't take it for granted. I've worked in a lot of churches over the years. That's why I call myself multi-tribal, because the denomination thing is, I've been part of so many. And I've seen the gift of God in many denominations. Each one has something unique. They all think they're right. Every one of them, you know, they know more than all the rest, and, and it's not necessarily true, but that, the attitude is implied. You know, but our denomination teaches this. You know, let's, let's separate ourselves from everybody else. And, hmm, I do believe the scripture talks about that when everybody comes to the oneness of faith, we're going to see a tremendous change in this world. It's not about our dividers. It's not our doctrines that bind us together. It is the love of Christ. And most of the scripture, especially in the New Testament, the New Testament letters written to the church are for your benefit and for my benefit because they know there's going to be proximity with one another. If you hang out with somebody long enough, you're going to have a not great day. Happens to everybody. See? Somebody's not happy right now. And they've been together their whole life. A whole, how many months? Yeah. There's a chemistry with people that you have to recognize. There are different personality types. There are four primary personality types, and out of those, there's a combination which equal of, of a total of 16 personality types in this entire world. That's it. Well, I don't want to fit in the box. You do. Okay? There's a box. There's a box for you. But it doesn't mean you have to stay there. It doesn't mean it defines who you are. It just says, here's where your propensity is and how you function. Paul knew this. And he decided it was so important because he saw fighting going on in the church. He said, it's time for you guys to learn how to get along. And i got to give you some instruction because right now, you're not learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit every minute. So I'm going to give you some written instructions to remind you because you're obviously forgetful. That's the beauty of the scripture, to remind us, encourage us. Let's look at a couple of them. 1 Peter 2, he says, So get rid of all evil behavior. Stop it. That's the short answer. Stop it. 
Just stop it. It's not part of who you are. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. So I guess we all have some learning to do. (laughs) None of us have this fully perfected, which is great, you know, because there isn't an arrival, but there is a journey, and we're all on it. So he's saying this, look, stop all this stuff, and if you use that as a license to go sin, you're deceiving yourself. Grace does not give a license to go sin more. Paul was addressing that in Romans. He said, does that mean if this is all covered, I should, I should sin even more, so grace abounds even more. And Paul's saying, you idiot, are you kidding? How can you even think that? Stop it, no. True grace denies ungodliness. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. Listen to this. So that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Spiritual milk's important. The milk's the foundation. It's the pablum of Christian faith. It's the beginning. And we will continue to teach basics, but we're also going to build on the basics so we can grow mature. We need more. Sunday mornings is not enough info. My job is to encourage you to dive into this and listen to the Holy Spirit in you who's drawing you to himself. Love this line here. Cry out for this nourishment. Where would that crying out come from? It's already in you. The Holy Spirit's already telling you, hey, there's more for you to learn, and I'm drawing you into more. I want you to understand this one text. Let's say there's a Bible verse that you don't get, and you just can't get out of your head. That's him saying, hey, investigate. I want you to learn something about that text. And he doesn't just do it with, with Scripture. He does it with people. He puts a person on your mind. I want you to do something for that person. I'm putting that person on your mind either just to pray for them or to go do, to be, to hear something. That's what connections do. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, and I believe most of us here have tasted the kindness of God, don't forget it. It's for your encouragement so that you can also turn and encourage somebody else. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Your temporary residence. This is not your home. You're only visiting this planet, so to speak. Life is short. Be careful where your priorities are. We've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. You know, don't live for the how big is your U-Haul when you die. You know, it doesn't do you any good. I actually saw a picture of a U-Haul on a on a hearse. It does exist. I have proof but didn't do any good. You're only temporary residents. What matters today may not matter in three years from now. The thing you're fighting with your spouse about or fighting with your kids about, is it going to matter in five years? Really? Probably not. Some things will. But I'm just saying, we sometimes get too worked up about things and don't need to because our mindset is on this earth only. Part of this worldly desires wage war against your very souls, a lot of that's pointing to legalism as well. 
Don't go to the worldly way of thinking of systems, of being, things you can do to make yourself right with God. That's a worldly system. That's not God's grace to you. He has already made you right. There's nothing you can do to be made more right. It's an impossibility. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. By the way, just for the record, I'm not making this up. And I am not going to... This is an awkward one to cover because given our political situation, U.S., Canada, how does this all work? Let me tell you this. How about you let the scripture speak to your heart instead of thinking, oh, but it doesn't apply to that. It doesn't, you, you're trying to find all the detours around this thing that's glaring at us. And we're really good at bypassing, well, I'm sure it's true, but I'm not listening. La, 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 la. We do that. We do that with a lot of scriptures. But there's some encouragement here because he's called us to live in harmony with each other. For the Lord's sake, not your sake, the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Ooh, I like this part here. Respect everyone. <laughs> We're hearing about laws coming into place, whether it's um, uh, assisted suicide or uh, the gender stuff that's going on. Um, you name it. You, you, can, you can camp on either side of the argument. You really can. You can have an opinion. But, but, right here, respect everyone. What I see happening in our culture and in the newspaper and in Facebook posts, there is a very serious lack of respect. It's, it's about shoving your opinion through and you're not going to relent until they agree, which you're not going to because when you're texting stuff like that, there's, there's no agreement. It doesn't happen. When you hear each other and over coffee, over sitting on the porch talking, whatever it is, then you start to hear each other's hearts. And it's gentle. But we are to respect everybody. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to say, well, to me this is wrong, so therefore I reject the person. No, you can still respect the people. Love them. And you don't have to make sure they know you're against their topic. That's not love. That's not respect. If you're going to push something, push that God loves them. Unconditionally. But, but they've made these choices. So what? Love them. Love them. You're not called to correct. That's not your job. So many people in the church feel like they have to help the Holy Spirit out. <laughs> Just speaking my mind. That's what people say. Just telling you what I think. Not every thought you have is yours, people. And I've said this before. Be wary of those who just speak their mind. They're the scariest ones and probably the least loving. Because they think, because they're thinking it, it's, you know, out it comes. Control your thoughts. Control your mind. Respect 
everyone, even the political leaders you can't stand, respect people because God created them. God loves them. Therefore, you can too. Now, it's kind of funny. He said, respect everyone and then love the family believers. <laughs> but if you refer to uh, another section in, in Peter, in 2 Peter 1 or 2 it is, he says, once you grow like this, then you will have genuine love for everyone. At first, if you begin, you love, you love believers, but then you'll have an authentic love for everybody. There's a progression of growing and learning. It begins with respect. And then it says, fear God, which does not mean, <laughs> be scared of him, and oh no. You know, it, it, this word has to do with reverence. Deep awe, deep respect for who he is, what he has done. That's where fear of the Lord comes from. It's not about being afraid, you know. Although, in churchianity, in the history of the church, especially Western culture, the idea of God being angry, oh, we've got to fear him. He's not angry. God is love. He sent Jesus to correct their picture of who the Heavenly Father was. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and I are the same. So you're wondering what God's like? Look at Jesus. But how is that fit for the Old Testament and all the, the killings and slaughterings and you, all that stuff? How do you, how do you reconcile that? <laughs> do some research, people. It is not a cookie-cutter answer. It's not something I can share in a, three sentences up here. I believe there's much to learn about the writing of the Old Testament and the lens through which they wrote and how the writers put their stuff into it, their pictures of who they thought God was. Can we trust it? Yes. But let's look to Jesus. Let's start at the right place, not from the wrong presumption, as in trying to prove something that is not correct. Start with Jesus loves you. He loves everybody. That's a powerful picture. And respect the king. You don't have to like our prime minister, but you respect him. He's been placed there as an authority. You may not like his policies. Then find the proper ways to go about changing policies. There are ways to do that. But do it with respect. Those who argue and chirp without respect of people, their opinions are not respected. There's something to learn about that. Second Peter 2. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you'll get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. If you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This has to do with bosses. Who's your boss? You've got to respect your boss. If you're self-employed, respect your boss. <laughs> How does that work? But anyway, but respect your employers, those who are above you. Show that respect because it is of your character. Even if you don't think so, I know your nature. Your nature is one with Christ. And Christ's nature respects and loves and is gentle. We need to do the same. Jesus never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. If we camped on just that, 
and wondered how that, if we lived like Jesus, how, how our lives would be, I have a funny feeling our culture is quick to retaliate, quick to snap back. Look at our driving on the roads and the road rage and the different rages that are going on, the Costco parking lot fight that is so stupid. Like seriously, that's not Christ. That's blind people and people living out of darkness acting just as they believe. You're better than that. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin. Look at that. And live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. This word healed. There's two definitions for that word translated from the Greek. First is fully healed as in no more sickness. The second is completely taking care of sin, the wiped-outness of sin. It's completely gone. The penalty, all of it, gone. So there's two ways to see by his wounds you are healed. There's a powerful, powerful picture here that the Holy Spirit will have to tell you which one or both <laughs> and what that means in this world. But Jesus did all that. He did not retaliate. He lived it. And he did it by the strength of God, his Father, who's in him. That's powerful imagery. Next, 2 Thessalonians. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell other churches, uh, we tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you are suffering. So Paul's writing and saying, look, you guys are amazing. You're modeling encouragement and building each other up really well. I'm getting word of it. I'm hearing about it. And the other churches are hearing about it. Obviously, something was going on. And by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. It begins when we drop our guard and make ourselves more vulnerable one to another. And some people are happy with just showing up Sunday. It's great. It's all they need, and then gone, no contact all week. That's fine for a time, but you're meant for more. You're meant for deeper connections, to start talking about the things of God with one another so you can learn from each other. If your view of Scripture and view of Christ and view of forgiveness is exactly the same as it was 20 years ago, something's wrong. You're stunted. Something is blocked. Some people rest in security of their denomination or their church. Well, the church teaches this. I'll, I'll, I just trust them to, to make sure it's all right and I'll go with it. No, don't you dare do that. Remember I've told you, I am not the one to teach you. The Holy Spirit is. You go check out the scriptures. You go find out for yourself. You do the digging as the hunger in you grows. You cannot count on just the pastor. Can't. They're not smart enough. None of them are. They have good ideas. There are things to learn. But the Holy Spirit is your teacher to confirm. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. 
May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Ooh. Faith prompts you to do. Do you remember we talked about living by the faith of God, not faith in God? The faith you have is a gift given to you. You can't even muster it up. You can't say, I believe, I believe, I believe 500 times fast enough and make something happen and, you know, and wish it into being, which is just like a, a, a sort of sorcery magic of trying to will something to happen. Move that lamp. You know, you know how you try to make a th- thing move. You see magicians do it on TV and all that stuff. No, that's not what faith is. Faith is a person. And his name's Jesus. And he's inspiring you. He's giving you ideas. So the ideas that are in you, good things to do, what is it that prompts you? It is God in you, giving you the desire and the power and the success to do everything he plans in you to do. There's something good for you to do. And it doesn't have to look churchy. Buy somebody coffee behind you in the Tim Hortons drive-thru without telling them, you know, whatever, something. You see somebody in need, encourage them. Help them. Whatever. You've, you've figured out by what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And we're going to find more and more creative ways of helping people and encouraging one another. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. You'll be honored among, uh, along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Corinthians 3. This is really super, super good news for everybody. If you didn't get any good news yet, this is it. Listen. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in his glory. This is good news. Now, this does not mean be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Okay? Some people say, well, I'm only going um, to read scripture. Christian music is all I'm going to listen to. Christian books, bleh, you know, that's all I'm going to listen to. There's, there's some really corny Christian books out there, just, just like secular books. So what? By buying it from a Christian bookstore doesn't make it good. Okay? And sometimes we think that that is the way we're supposed to go. We're so Christianized, we don't even know how to live in this world. It's crazy. Your sights on God, the things to keep your mind on, like Teresa was saying, you know, God told her, start thinking through the good things I've done for you and the good people you've met and, and the situations you've seen, the things I've allowed you to witness. Think on these things. These are the heavenly things. Think of the goodness of God in your life. If you're having a hard day and you're so depressed, start thinking back to when God did display himself as good. Start thinking of those positive things. Have those, those monuments, those moments of remembering. If you don't have them, then you need to start writing them down. 
All through the history of Israel, they were building altars wherever they went. When they crossed the Jordan River to get to Jericho, they built an altar of stone so that they would remember. When they crossed the Red Sea, they built an altar to remember so they can point to the rocks and say, this place, this time, God did this. And in case we forget, when we see these rocks, we remember. It's easy to forget. Remember the good things. Remember your forgiveness. Remember your struggle with feeling like you needed forgiveness. I got tons of those memories. Begging God, begging and begging, please, because I didn't quite feel it. But my system was go to church. I was in a Pentecostal church at the time, and they're not calm. And so um, we were bouncing off the seats, doing the hallelujah stuff. The tongues thing happened, you know, and, and my people, my people, interpretations, you name it. All that stuff was happening, you know. And I experienced a completely opposite in another church. I go to these places. I was trying to get myself to feel spiritually close to God. Then I felt forgiven. Then I felt empowered to go do. And who was doing it? Me. It was my magic. It was not dependent on the Holy Spirit. Did God encourage me? Yes. In spite of my self-effort, he was still good. He overlooked it. In fact, he's probably thinking, gotcha, gotcha. Boy, I can hardly wait for another three years because when you see the light, man, it's going to be so good. We're going to cheer, aren't we, guys? Yes. Three more years, Mike. Three more years. Oh, four more years. <laughs> He's a little slow. Do you trust God with your journey? He has you on a journey to reveal himself. And if you're looking at somebody else and upset that they don't see the same truth you do, don't you get mad at them for it. They're on their journey. This is how we get along. This is how we encourage one another. Is there motivation to speak spiritual things into each other to correct them so they start behaving like you want them to? Or do you have a motivation to just love? Authentically, just love them. That's a tough one. It's a tough one to be honest about. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How is this possible? Back up. Go to this slide again. Take a look at this. And when Christ, who is your life, this is one of the big good newses of the grace message. Good newses, you know, it's in the dictionary. It is this your life is not something separate from God. Christ is your life. If you think you have an independent life, then you are, in essence, a God. Do you see that? You are not a God. You're one with God. His life is your life. So when we say, dear Jesus, please come into my heart, I accept you, he's saying, oh, what do you mean by that? Well, I heard that in church. I'm supposed to pray that prayer. Well, it's not in the Bible. 
And I never told anybody to pray that. So I don't know where you got that from, but do you believe in me? Yes. Let me show you who I am. Him being out there and coming in is an impossibility because Christ holds all things together. There is a connection already. He holds your body, your cells, everything together, just like this chair. There's a movie that was out that got a lot of negative reviews from the church. It's called Avatar. How many have seen Avatar? It's a great movie. I heard some religious people in front of me on the second time I saw it. And they didn't seem happy. Oh, it's all new age, new age, new age. And I'm thinking, I just saw a spirituality that the church is not touching. It was declaring a oneness with our earth, with each other, in a way that, well, I don't think the writer intended that, but they're pointing to something that holds us all together. For us, we know it's Christ. You are connected with each other. You're connected with this world. And it was that journey of thinking that started my healthier perspective on uh, taking care of our environment, realizing there is a connection. We are ones who are to take care of this world. We do have a responsibility, no matter how much we think we don't. And it's just easier. I still have to wrestle with that. It's, I haven't figured it out. But I'm on the better journey towards seeing it now that I see Christ holding all things together. It's like, wow, okay. It's powerful. You were chosen to be holy. You are holy, all of you. He's made you clean so he could indwell you. He's made you new, actually. He recreated you. You're a new creation. <laughs> it's even better than being remade, as in um, cleaned out, still same old shell, you know, gutted, and then new innards. No. You're a new creation. And the more you believe that, because the scripture tells you that, that revelation will transform your behavior and your view of other people. Because you'll see other people as new creations too. And it all happened at the cross. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Ouch. Mm. Make allowance for each other's faults. It's assuming we have faults. Can you believe that? What? Yes. Make allowance. Have room for other people to have faults and forgive. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, the series on forgiveness that I did really locks into that of how forgiveness works. That's something worth looking into if you want to understand forgiveness better. And it's not a cold turkey, um, uh, carm blanche, misunderstanding of forgiveness. Dig deep into what forgiveness means, what it means to forgive one another horizontally. We're called to do that, it's a must. And when we do, then we can pursue and work through the difficulties we may have with people, not until we forgive. If, if that makes sense, go and listen to the forgiveness series. I've done 13 weeks on it. It was great. <coughs> and then, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. What? Hang on. 
Whoa, did you see that? Always be thankful. There are moments we're not always thankful. And King David gave us permission to vent, but not stay in our vent. We can vent to God and say, I'm ticked off right now. You're allowed to do that. But let him renew your mind and direct you back to the foundation of who your Savior is and be thankful for what you do have. Usually, our grumping comes from something we want, assuming we're lacking something. It's powerful. So today, make allowance for one another. We will all screw up at some point. We're all going to need grace at some point. Some more than others. But be gracious. For when the time comes that you need it and you get it, it'll speak to your soul and helps us get along better and better to become a people who love each other authentically, which is what Christ has called us to do. It's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your grace. Thank you that you have directed Paul to write, to speak to our needs as a community of how to get along, even when it's tough. May we all learn to rely on you and not on each other, but to rely on you for wisdom and direction for what you want us to do, to say, be our teacher, be our guide. Amen.